0: If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in 1 Chronicles 16, starting in verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established it shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. i oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of this series that I've got a synopsis of on the screen called Following Jesus. And I'll I'll remind some of you and I'll tell others of you why we're doing this. As we look at our culture, Western culture, there are many, many people who would claim to be Christian while not really looking anything like Jesus. Their lives would say, you know, my my priorities, my pursuits, my passions really look more like a worldly culture whether that's conservative or liberal worldly culture it doesn't matter but they look more like culture than than Jesus. And so we're taking a big chunk of time here this fall to just say what would it look like to actually apprentice ourselves to Jesus because that's what the word disciple means is an apprentice. It's a student who learns from and hears and mimics the way of a master teacher. And the last few weeks, we've come into this gray bubble at the top of this image that you're looking at, which are 10 practices that we've identified in the life of Jesus. He practiced these things, and also we are called by Jesus and by the balance of Scripture to also practice these things. And we were on this family bike ride yesterday, this single track And golden and it's been very dry lately and I hear Marty who's in the back and she said I feel like I'm getting the dust of my rabbi all over me and and that's what we want you to kind of picture is that as as your rabbi as your teacher as your Lord goes before you that you are following such in lockstep with him that his dust is getting all over you and people see you and they're like you've been on a ride with Jesus you have been on a hike with Jesus now, this morning, we're not talking about just another of these 10 words. As I, as I thought about this more, as I studied about it more, I was like, you know, this is like the practice beneath all the other practices, and I'm talking about worship. And what I mean by it's the practice beneath the practice is you can pray or you can worshipfully pray. Those are not the same thing. You can read scripture and study scripture, or you can do so worshipfully. Those are not the same thing. As Richard talked about obedience last week, there's a way to just obey, and there's a way to worshipfully obey. And I could go through all of these with generosity and Sabbath and service and self-denial and forgiveness and mission. There's a way to do those that is worshipful, as we'll see this morning, and there's a way to just kind of do them, legalistically check them off. Is this what you want, God, is just kind of my performance? And God would say, no, your performance isn't what I'm after. It's your heart. That I'm after. It's your life. It's our commitment to one another. So let's go off and running a quick survey on worship. The New Testament practically begins and ends with worship. Like in the second chapter of the New Testament, you have these magi coming from the east because they've heard that the Jewish Messiah has been born in Bethlehem and they're coming with gifts to worship him, Matthew says. If you turn to the very last page in the very last chapter of the New Testament and you're in Revelation, you read about the hope and the promise that those who put their trust in Jesus will worship him forever. In between the beginning and the end of the New Testament, we find a Jesus who is both worshipped and himself a worshiper. I don't know if you know that. I think one of the most basic things that we could miss about Jesus is restated, I think, beautifully in Luke 4, verse 16, that says, And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So, I mean, we're talking about mimicking Jesus, and this is super simple and not legalistic. You want to be like Jesus? Then be with your worshiping community on the Sabbath day and let almost nothing stand in the way of that commitment to say, I'm publicly gathering with people. Because what we're remembering is that we are doing the practices not in a vacuum where it's just like, "Now I'm just focused on that practice. At the very bottom, you see these three words, identity, lifestyle, and community. Remember, that's, that's the paradigm. That's the whole context we are swimming in for doing the 10 practices. We're not just going off by ourselves and saying, well, this is how I choose to worship God. You're called, like Jesus, to worship in community, with community. And again, to be really, really determined that it's not just this distraction or that thing, or I was up too late last night doing something really fun that lets you stand in the way from saying it's a priority in my life to worship with community. Because as that next word to the left says, this is a lifestyle, not an event. This is part of a bigger lifestyle that I'm after. I said at the same time, Jesus is also worshipped. We're we're explicitly told that both before and after the resurrection, the 12 disciples and many others worshipped him. Many that he healed recognized, you are the Messiah, you are God, and they worshipped him. So the same Jesus who battled Satan and told him in the temptation, you shall worship the Lord your God alone, turned right around and accepted the worship of his disciples. Which tells you that either he's a complete hypocrite or he's God and he's worthy of worship. By the way, we know that worship is connected to discipleship because Jesus told us in John 4, the Father is seeking worshipers. The Father is out on a pursuit finding people and making people who are those who worship in spirit and in truth. So before we get any farther, let's look at point one, which is just the meaning of worship. Okay, we're, we're using this word a lot. So what is it? What is worship? What does it mean? And I want to start with what you think worship is. You, if you're taking notes, you could even say, you know, before you say anything about worship, here's, here's kind of how I think of it. Going back to my earliest memories of childhood, and I was blessed to be raised by Christian parents in the church. But if you had asked me as a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, like, what do you think worship is? I, I just picture sitting on very hard pews in very tight clothes, watching the pastor do his thing and watching the choir do their thing, surrounded by, and I grew up in big churches, so surrounded by hundreds or a thousand people that I didn't know. And if you had said, what is your earliest memory of worship? And it, Don't hear me faulting my parents. I'm just saying as a four-year-old processing it, I'm like, so worship is something that's detached from the rest of life and it's rigid and it's ritualistic and you do it with people you don't know. And then you go back to life. And some of you may have that view of worship. Some of you may have instantly thought like worship music or a worship service, and your idea is either an event that you attend or just something that you put on the radio or on your iPod or phone just, just to listen to, to to, to bring praise to your heart maybe. So what do you think worship is? Well, I think we're getting closer to the idea of worship when we look at just today's definition. So just kind of cross referencing a number of different dictionaries, they would say something like this, worship means to feel or to express honor, reverence, or adoration for a deity. And again, I think that kind of makes worship feel fairly narrow and kind of like a unique thing that you're, you're stopping all this other stuff that's going on in your life to deliberately focus on God and praise him, maybe sing a song or pray a prayer or something like that. The old English word, I think, is getting us closer. The old English word was the word, literally, worth-ship. worth-ship. And the idea of worship was to acknowledge someone's worth. It was, when directed at God, it is giving to God everything that God is due. And so you could say, okay, is God worthy of reverence and honor? Is he worthy of my obedience? Is he worthy of praise? And the answer is Yes. I mean, what we just read, 1 Chronicles 16, 28 and 29, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And so we think about, what is his name? What does that imply that he is worthy of? Am I ascribing that or literally just giving that to him? Revelation 4.11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I I love that how those two texts, 4.12 and then in 5, is saying you are worthy because you made everything. You're the creator, and you're worthy because you redeemed things. You remade those who are being remade. And so we're reflecting back on, like, what is God up to in my life? What is God up to in our world? What has God done? What is he worthy of? And then we're giving that back to him, worth-ship. By the way, I think a key text here is Romans 12, verse 1, where the apostle Paul is writing to a church, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's your spiritual worship? And it's literally, by the way, it's the, it's the Greek word for liturgy. What is the liturgy of my life as a follower of Jesus? It is surrendering everything, including my physical body, To say, let this be holy and acceptable to you. That's what you're worthy of. Well, let's go back one step even further than the Old English worship. And we're now looking at the Old Testament written in Hebrew. We're looking at the New Testament written in Greek. There are nearly two dozen words that are translated worship in our English translation. The most basic meaning of worship, if you didn't know this, is literally to come and to bow down. And the idea of worship was to come before someone that you see as a superior and to say, I willingly humble myself. I submit myself before you. That's worship. Okay. A couple other nuances or a handful of other nuances. Another basic meaning was to serve or to labor on behalf of. Other words relate to mourning or rejoicing. Like not mourning as opposed to evening, but mourning like, it's like sadness, like grieving in worship. Lament. In worship. Other words relate to singing and dancing. Others mean to fear, to reverence, to be in awe of someone or something. Others relate to seeking or inquiring after, saying, I'm, I'm pursuing you and I'm pursuing something in you. Other words speak of sacrificing to someone or something or giving a gift to someone or something. That's what the magi were doing as they come and they say, here's my gift. Still others revolve around what you probably think of as worship, which is like giving thanks or giving praise or glorifying or magnifying the Lord. And my point is, you can see how pervasive, how kind of all-encompassing worship is. If, in, in the language of 1 Corinthians 16, it's not just that one verse I just repeated, it's the whole thing. Worship is the whole thing. Worship is giving thanks. Worship is singing. Worship is seeking the Lord. Worship is boasting in his name. Worship is remembering who he is. Worship is remembering what he's done. Worship is remembering what he promised to do. Worshiping is declaring his glory. It's fearing him. It's trembling before him. It's recognizing his sovereignty. And it's being glad. Like when you're filled with joy as a follower of Jesus, that's not like, oh, I went off the rails because I'm happy. I'm enjoying this. That's part of worship. So I want to summarize all that with kind of a definition. True worship is the response of all that we are to all that God is, to all that God has done, and to all that God promises. And by the way, those categories come straight out of 1 Corinthians 16. I invite you to go back into that either with your gospel community or on your own this week and just look for what are, where are all the words, all the descriptions of this is who God is this is what God has done, and this is what God promises, straight out of 1 Corinthians 16, okay? Now, now here's what we do with this, especially, uh, sadly, maybe, maybe even more so with some of you who are raised by Christian parents or in the church. are like, okay, I get it. God is God, therefore God is worthy of my praise and obedience, so I'll try to do better worshiping him like that, and it's this hard sell. Anybody ever feel like worship is a hard sell? It's like, Here's this pile of stuff: experiences, possessions, relationships, goals, dreams. And I'm like, "This is the stuff I love. This is the stuff I enjoy. But God, you, you're worthy. you know? So, so I'll, I'll look away from that for a moment to reverence you and to try to drum up something to thank you for. That's a hard sell. Like here's all the good stuff, here's all the enjoyment. Let's break away to, you know, know that God is worthy. So let me come to point two. Beyond the meaning of worship, let's talk for a few moments about the heart of worship. The heart of worship. Like what is what is God really after? And when Jesus tells us the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth, what's it what's he really talking about? Well, I go to the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism and this most famous and first of questions, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the, the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose of, and it's mankind or humankind? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God. Many of you just stop there. I should be glorifying God. You should be but that's not where the catechism that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, that's not where it goes. Glorify, hard stop. Your ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. First Corinthians 10 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So let's just pause there. Glory of God, glorify God. Like what, what are we talking about? Well, to, to glorify someone, I mean, the, the word is literally to, to acknowledge the weight or the immensity of. It is to look at God and say, you are, you are worthy, so I'm going to praise and proclaim and magnify the worthiness that is already yours. I'm not giving you something that you don't already have, but it's this back-to-the-ascribe thing. I'm calling attention to your weight, your immensity, your honor your worthiness to be exalted and extolled. But what about the second part? To enjoy God. Is that something distinct? Like we worship God and then we also you know, try to enjoy God in a relationship somehow. Is that something that you even think of throughout your week? Like, am I enjoying God right now? Do I delight in the Lord right now? And I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but how many of you would say, like, I enjoy God? Because again, the the whole chart that we've had up here of discipleship to a rabbi who is a real person and is the son of God. I mean, can you imagine following someone and being like, well, I've learned all this information and I'm copying what you did. Do I enjoy you? No, but I mean, at least I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Like, that's not Christianity 101 at all. Let's go to this enjoyment for a few moments. So, we said true worship is a response of all that we are to all that God is, all that God has done, and all that God promises to do. So, who is God? If I'm responding with all of me, like mind, heart, meaning like emotions, a soul, and physical body and reactions, if I'm responding with all that I am, you're responding with all that you are to who God is. Do you ever just pause and think about, like, who, who is God? Well, he's hundreds of things according to scripture. He's eternal, the uncreated creator of everything else that is. He is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. He is Lord, he's master, he's ruler, he's king, he's savior, deliverer, defender, liberator. I could go on and on. And what I want you to do is just picture whether you're trudging across the desert or you're hiking in the mountains and you've gotten lost and you're just going on and on and on and you've, you've long since run out of food and you are exhausted and you are parched and all of a sudden you come across this fountain of water coming up out of the ground and a loaf of bread. How would you go about glorifying that fountain and that loaf of bread? You know, would you, would you be like, oh, man, I'm going to take, take off my hiking shoes, right? Take off my shoes. I'm standing on holy ground here, water and bread. You know, maybe, maybe keep like a 50-foot or 100-foot distance from that sacred thing. And uh, let's, let's build an altar over here with the remaining energy that I have before I die. Because that is holy and that is like glorified to the water and the bread. No, like the way to glorify the spring and the bread is to devour them, to to immerse yourself in them and to let them replenish your body and your soul and your emotions and then to rest and then to come back for more and then to go find people who like you are lost and say, hey, I found water and I found bread. The way to glorify it is to enjoy it, to let it do what it's designed to do, which is to refresh you. Why am I saying that? Because I think this is what God invites us to do when in Scripture he says things like, I am the fountain of living water. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so what do we, well, the way, the way to honor you as the fountain of living water is to, the way to honor him as the fountain of living water is to immerse yourself in that and to, to splash it all over you and to drink and to be refreshed. And to eat the bread and to let it be your life. And you go through these metaphors where Jesus is like, I am the light of the world. And you're like, so then the way to honor you and glorify you and worship you is to actually enjoy that light. If you've ever been in pitch darkness, you know that you enjoy light. And you know that you want it to lead you and light your path and to to light everything else. In your light, we see light. When he says, I am the good shepherd, what's the way to worship him? Set up a monument to like the good shepherd? No, it's to, then I want your leadership. I want your care. I want your protection. I want to go where you are taking me in my life and to trust you that you're good. See, worship is eating and drinking and following and resting. It's not just walking away from the fun stuff and surrendering to God. Kicking and screaming. It is finding joy. It is finding flourishing in the person and work of Jesus. And by the way, that's what you do about everything else in your life. You know, C.S. Lewis, in his reflections on the Psalms, says we always delight to praise what we enjoy. In fact, the, the praise of something kind of completes the worship. It's not gone full circle until we're like, you need to taste this. Come look at this painting. Come read this poem. Come, come watch this replay of this thing that I saw while I was watching this football game. I mean, we're always calling other people to enjoy the thing with us, and then we come to the praise of God, the worship of God, and we're like, eh, people don't want to hear that from me. I don't want to know what my thing is. They'd be offended. So I think we have to abandon this notion that, that worship is kind of the, the restriction of joy in order to give God his due. It is actually seeking that joy, that delight, that flourishing, that, dare I say, pleasure in God. So another summary statement, I think the heart of worship is being fully satisfied in God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and sharing your delight with others. If God is like, this is who I am for you. I mean, again, I'm thinking of these Jewish families just huddled in their homes, like crying out for protection. Does it not honor God to say, God, you say you are a refuge, and I am plunging myself into you. Be my refuge. Be my fortress. Be my shield. Be my strength. And you're actually calling for that protection. And, and yes, that honors God because that's what he said. He's like, to know me, this is who I am. This is what I want to do for you. So if you want to follow Jesus, then go after him for nothing less than complete satisfaction, complete joy, complete delight. You realize the most mature Christians are not like the emotionless Stoics who are just like, I just revere God so much, but maybe more like the crazy fools who can't shut up about how delightful God is in everyday life. I thought of this Stupid example this morning. The disciples are walking around with Jesus. Do you think Jesus ever told jokes? I don't mean to be irreverent. I'll bet he told jokes. Hanging out with the guys. So Jesus tells a joke. What's the way to honor him? Laugh. And go tell someone else the joke. (laughs) Right? And we we don't think of, well, he's God. Yes, he's God. And don't let him be so near to you that he's just your homeboy or your best friend who just... Approves of everything that you are and want to do and your dreams and every, he's not that. But I don't think we're fully honoring if we don't picture him as like the disciples walking with him and laughing with him and enjoying him and delighting in. Man, you're you're a fun person to be with. As I entrust more and more of my life to you. So last point is the renewal of worship, and as I've done in some previous messages in this particular series, I just want to take the remaining few moments to kind of workshop this with you a little bit. I want it to be very practical, like something you can take with you of not just like worship, it's this, I have this thought, but bring it down to the street level where you are living as soon as you leave here today in a whole life worship sort of way. So the renewal of worship. And what I mean is, what, what do I do if this morning, as you talk about worship and feeling a certain way about God, like enjoying Him, delighting in Him, and seeking that satisfaction in Him as a core of who I am, you're like, what if I don't feel that way? Well, I want you to first think about what do you feel that way about? And what do I mean? I mean, worship is universal. And many have said this better than what I could say it, but the idea is it's not like there are some people over here who are worshiping God and all of these other people are just free to, to be themselves, to be authentic. No, you're either worshiping not God or you're worshiping God. That, that's your choice. It's, it's that binary. You can, you can worship the uncreated creator who, who gave his life to redeem you forever and ever, Or you can worship someone or something else. And so I think the first piece of this is identify. Okay, if I want to renew my heart of worship, if you want to renew your heart of worship, number one, we've got to identify. We've got to identify what is it that I already worship, that I already feel this way about, that Jesus invites me to feel about him, Father, Son, and Spirit. So here are a couple other ways to think about worship. If you think of it just as like, there's your statue, there's your idol in that special room of your house, and it's the thing you go in, you light the incense, and you bow down, and you pray, actually believing that that statue or the thing that that represents is going to answer your prayers, then I would agree with you, not many people do that in the grand scheme of things. But if, what if you thought of worship like this? Worship is the, the thing or the, the person or thing that I look to as a source of my identity, myself, my self-worth. We are doing that all the time. I find my identity, my sense of like things are going to be okay with me, not because I'm looking to Jesus, but because I'm looking to the voices of other things that approve of me. Worship is looking to someone or something as a source of hope, as a, as a source of meaning, as a, as a source of purpose. It's looking to something as a source of rescue or protection or safety or salvation. It's looking to something as a source of contentment or satisfaction. Like, like my life stinks, but if I only had this, then I would be content. Well, God's not enough for you? No. No, not if I'm being honest. I'm not satisfied. I need more. What is that more that you need that you've identified that you want? That's your real god or idol as the bible would say what are you looking to because this is worship as a source of pleasure joy delight see then then of course we're all worshipers if you're talking about things i look to for a sense of self or self-worth to know that i'm okay things that i look to 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 rescue me to get me out of a jam to to bless my life and flourish my life and bring happiness to my life and bring contentment and pleasure to my life then what do you worship and 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 i'm Again, don't speak out loud, but you could start jotting things down. Is it money, possessions, the esteem of other people, like your reputation? Do you worship a particular ideology that our culture is flocking after? You know, do you worship your career or sports or food or sex or autonomy? Or do you worship your kids? Everything revolves around your kids, and you're kind of vicariously living out that life that you wish your parents had given you in them. And God calls you to love your kids and bless your kids and lead your kids. He does not call you to worship your kids. Do you just worship your own opinions, priorities, your will? Well, here's four simple tests for you. If you're still like, I don't know what I worship. Well, here you go. What occupies your mind when you're not thinking about anything else? Like, what does your mind just immediately go back to time and time again when it's quiet? What occupies your mind? Number two, look at how you spend your money. And i would be specific. Look how you spend your discretionary money effortlessly, painlessly. Because there are certain things, when I'm writing a check, I'm like, or, I mean, what do I write a check to? Church. So that's a bad example. Um, (laughs) Direct deposit or what? You know, it's like... Okay, when I'm giving the government this for this, for this tax or this certification or whatever, that doesn't feel as good as spending my money somewhere else. Where does your money flow to effortlessly, easily, painlessly? Same with time. Thirdly, what is your real daily functional salvation? What, are, and what I mean is, what are you living for? What, what makes you feel alive and successful? And like, okay, whew, I know I'm Okay. And then four, look at your most uncontrollable emotions. What makes you livid or despondent or terrified or ashamed over and over again? Because that thing has a grip on your life, okay? Um, I don't mean to brag, but over the weekend, I did watch the new Barbie movie. <laughs> we can talk later about the entirety of that experience. But there was something, if, if you've seen it throughout the course of the movie, that is being attacked and promoted at the same time. And the word was used dozens of times. And I would say it's what the whole movie's about, not not meaning that there aren't also other themes. But do you know what it was? It was power. They were attacking when certain people have a certain kind of power over other people, and they were promoting the same power if other people had that power. And they literally would make statements like, it's time for them not to have power, but for us to have power— To have agency, to have control. Um, By the way, a biblical worldview was not presented as an option in Barbie, okay? So if you're like, oh, that was so good. That was my, that was best movie ever because they just nailed, well, they didn't nail it. They, they showed some things that are wrong, and I was like, ha, yep, that's, that's awful. Like, we've done a bad job there, and they've highlighted a not good solution to that. There, there wasn't a biblical worldview addressed, which we can save for a whole other series, my point is power 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 control agency over my life over your life i get to call the shots and and that's a prominent cultural idol is my point because they're looking to it as a sense of like i know i have an identity i know i have self-worth i've got meaning purpose this is what is going to save me is if i have the authority i have the power i get control more personally, and I recommend that maybe some of you do this as well, I set some alarms on my phone this week just to randomly go off at different times. And my test was this. When that alarm goes off, what am I functionally worshiping right now? God caught me in real time saying, I'm identifying. This is all point one. And it's the longest point. But we need to identify what it is that we're actually defaulting to worship before we can go on to then step two is repent. And remember as we talked about this in one of the earlier lessons of this series, repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. Repentance literally is a change of mind. It is a change of perspective. It is agreeing with God. It is turning and walking away from wrong patterns of thinking. So let's just say you functionally worship the the idol of esteem. Like I need the affirmation of others. I'm living off the affirmation of others. And you could see that because when you get it, you are over the moon happy. You're like, oh, thank goodness. Like, now I know that I'm important and I'm okay and all the sacrifice. Like, somebody gets me. And when you don't get it and you needed it from someone, some particular someone or some particular group, it's not just like, oh, that's a bummer. That kind of stings. It's devastating. And you are depressed. Depressed. You're like, who am I? I don't even know who I am without their affirmation, without their respect, without their approval. Okay, so repentance would just sound like, Jesus, I acknowledge that you are the one voice whose approval I need to hear in my life. But I've been seeking that in other people, other ideas, other groups. I care way too much what other people think of me, and I am manipulated by other people. I confess that. It's foolish. It's wrong. I see that. Forgive me. Change my heart. So that then step three, believe. So identify, repent, believe. And I don't mean mental agreement like that kind of belief. I mean trust. Like, Jesus, I, why is it that I need the approval, the affirmation, of other people, it's because I need them to make me feel a certain—maybe it's a certain security. Maybe it's that I've been chasing love, and it's like—is it so wrong to want someone to love me and accept me for who I really am? And if they approve of me, then I've—and—and and to say I don't need that—I trust Jesus, God, that you are enough. I trust that your affirming voice is leading me in the right direction. So I I trust you enough to, in the words of the ancient prophet, to walk away from cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water, to come back to the fountain of living water and to drink. I trust you to satisfy me. And then finally, replace, identify, repent, believe, and then replace. And this is the place I always, if you've been around for a moment, I love to mention the old Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmer and his phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection. Replace. Because you can't just, ah, oh, all my pleasure is found in this, all my delight. I need this. And you're like, okay, no, I don't, I don't need it. I just leave this void in my life and just, well, nature abhors a vacuum. So if you're like, I'll just, I'll leave this thing and I'll leave it empty. No, what we need to do is replace that thing and then that emptiness with something else. The Apostle Paul would talk about it as like shedding a garment and being renewed in the spirit of your mind and then putting on Christ. Uh, and the illustration I've used of this, and you can judge, um, but I think it kind of it hits it, is uh, many, many years ago, like a, half a lifetime ago, some friends in my gospel community group were like, hey, we think it's a good idea to set up an online dating profile for our pastor. And so they did. And I could tell who was responsible because of the photos that were used. Um, because I was like, only one person has access to those photos, and only this one other person would, would feel like she knew me well enough to, to do this evil in God's eyes, right, and set this up. So anyway, we're off and running, and every Wednesday night we would get together and we would look at my matches— just this kind of a fun, hilarious thing. And then I was like, oh, I, I mean, that, that girl actually seems kind of interesting. So we started exchanging some, you know, questions and answers, just getting to know each other. And uh, I think we were just about to arrange to, like, meet in person. And then I got matched to Marty, who's my wife. Woo! Yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. And, uh, and I never communicated with this other girl again. And my, my, my daughter would always say, like, Dad, you ghosted her. Um, and I was like, I guess I did. Because of this expulsive power of a new affection, see. And that, that's too benign of an example. So I'll give you another example. We, we bought this old house and this whole arbor, like this wooden structure, pergola, whatever you call it, had this old dark stain on it that I wanted to take off and do some other stuff. So I got this paint stripper. And sprayed it with like a garden sprayer like all over and then came back with a pressure washer. And as I'm pressure washing off that stain, there's this like stripper slime stained sludge that's like getting all over me. And I know it's like it's burning my eyeballs out and my skin is burning and it's all irritating. And I couldn't wait to like get in the garage and like shed those clothes and to run in and shower and then just be like, ah, this feels so much better. Because really what we're getting rid of is just not like a benign but good dating relationship to, to find Jesus. We're getting rid of something disgusting that's eating away at us. And we are to shed that and to put on something entirely new. So how would you do this? Identify, repent, believe, replace. And remember, it's a lifestyle, not an event. We are all doing this all the time trusting God for this inner work in our lives so that we can worship him. And if you're tired of your idols that over-promise and underdeliver, come to Jesus again, or maybe for the first time, this fountain of living water, and, and worship him by saying, God, if you are the fountain of living water, then refresh me. Let you be a delight, even to my senses. I love the end of that hymn that says, It's when I survey the wondrous cross, and it's like when I look at what you have done for me, it says love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's the heart of true worship.